So if you look at like one person on this planet who suddenly is waking up to traumatic memories from their childhood, right? The deepest, darkest things from their early life are starting to come to the surface. And that's sort of what I see the Secret Space Program as. This is one of humanity's deepest, darkest, most traumatic things that's uh, very deeply buried. And uh, it, it needs help coming out um, for it to arise in the public consciousness. Uh, there needs to be a certain level of wellness on earth so that uh, it can be processed properly. Now that doesn't mean that everyone has to be uh, sort of at a very high state of consciousness for it to happen. Uh, but I think a certain percentage of the population needs to be able to hold a vibration so that this kind of information can come out more fully. Uh, in terms of the way this is all playing out, like with the Space Force and, uh, and Antarctica, um, you know, I think in following Q from the beginning, it's very clear that uh, there's some encouragements for the Q community to look towards secret space programs. Otherwise, Q would not have even gone near it. Right? So I think there's gentle encouragement from the Q team to move people in that direction, but they're being very careful about it because there is more disinformation around uh, sort of space, extraterrestrials, revolutionary technology than there is in any other sphere, I would say. And interestingly, I was listening to Oh, what was it? Yes, it was David uh, Robert Steele. I was watching him speak and he was saying that to his knowledge as a CIA agent, there is more mind control in NASA than anywhere else. That there's more disinformation coming out of space-based projects than anywhere else. But it was very telling to me that an ex-CIA agent was alluding to the fact that there's more disinformation and mind control in sort of NASA and the whole space area than in any other place. That's pretty telling. That's super important that um, it's not really up to us when someone is receptive to this information. We keep putting it out there and you keep, you know, uh, planting seeds, but it, it's not up to us if someone is or is not ready to receive this information. So I really do promote like non-attachment in terms of full disclosure activism, that um, this feeling that you need to wake other people up, uh, to me, it's a big distraction and it, it siphons energy from our community uh, in, a, in a big way. And I think if we um, were more detached from uh, this process of supporting the awakening, if we weren't as fixated on specific results, um, I think we, we could really come together as a community more effectively. Our activism in full disclosure, it, it needs to be rooted in certain metaphysical arrangements within ourselves. That the act of putting the information out there is not enough. Um, when you are putting information out there, let's say literally when you're in the process of composing like a Facebook post, the consciousness that you're in as you're composing that um, is embedded in the post. Everything you create is embedded with the consciousness you had at the time of that creation. So um, this principle is very important because if you're anxious, if you're frustrated, if you're feeling forceful, uh, um, any of those things, that's going into that post. And so that's going into your activism. So when I talk about metaphysical activism, 
I'm talking about arranging yourself properly in terms of consciousness so that your actions are infused with that consciousness. It's really, it's about synchronicity, right? So when you experience a powerful synchronicity, you feel it in your body. There are strong feelings associated with that, right? And that feeling of synchronicity that you're having in your body, this is a very private experience and it's not being caused by people around you. This is like a, a, a communion with spirit. It's a communion with your life path. So it's a very sacred, but it's a very sort of private internal experience. So the idea that you could control or manipulate that sacred experience within anyone is kind of crazy. Of course you can't. You can't create the feeling of synchronicity in another human body, right? So we, we all experience this. We all go through these moments of, whoa, that information just like activated my whole body. But that process is mysterious. It's entirely mysterious to us and it should be mysterious. And um, I think if we really tap into what that's been like for each of us as individuals, then we can start to gain some understanding of why it's not our job to create something so sacred and so uh, mysterious in another person. Uh, certainly we, we want that for other people. And we know the information that we have is very charged and has that potential. But it's between that individual and spirit when they're going to have those moments of their awakening. You know, you know I recently shared um, as a mini documentary on the Space Force, like very mainstream stuff, right? And uh, some of the things I pointed out were that, you know, as they're going through how we arrived at the creation of the Space Force, they keep mentioning attempts to get back into space the United States making attempts or, you know, factions of the government and the military trying to, and, and it just not happening. It's just fizzling over and over and over again, you know? And uh, that to me was, you know, people not in the know trying to create space programs or access to space and being denied by the existing space programs. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think sort of fooled a lot of people was the way Trump presented it as like an off the cuff idea which was actually really brilliant. So the way that he sort of delivered it in a speech, like it was a fleeting idea that he had, was extremely tactical. Um, you know, it, it presented it in a specific way that, that forced it to be managed by the deep state, uh, I think in a way that has ended up playing to his advantage. You know, like he's uh, very interesting in the sort of psychological warfare techniques that he uses. And in that same documentary, uh, they mention how it really can't have been an off-the-cuff thing that he was talking about because there has been so many efforts over the years since NASA you know, stopped going to the, the moon on a regular basis and all these things. There's been so many efforts over the years that have been stopped. So Trump saying that was actually a nod to all these people in the government and the military who are not in the know who have been trying to get access to space again. This was a nod to them. And I think one of the major things that he did that uh, is uh, indicative of the history of the secret space program was that he initially did not want the intelligence agencies to be a part of Space Force. Uh, uh, there, yeah. there was this, you know, and, and when you yeah. look at the history of um, intelligence agencies being infiltrated by the Fourth Reich, you know, um, that came out of World War II. 
and the extent to which the CIA and then eventually the NSA and the FBI became infiltrated, it's very obvious why Trump was keeping them out of the development of the Space Force, because quite frankly, they're all already in space and they're looking to curtail any efforts at the three major things that I've personally identified in my research, which is revolutionary technology, access to space, and non-terrestrial relations. And those three things, they keep a very, very clo closed lid on. They're very careful about those things. So um, I think personally, I'm always watching out for anything in those three areas. In terms of full disclosure, I think those are the three pillars that have um, sort of sustained secret space program suppression. As long as they've suppressed those things, the revolutionary tech, the non-terrestrial relations, and the access to space. So, you know, watching Space Force unfold and watching all this happen, uh, I mean, we can only know so much because a lot of it has to be covert in the way that they have to develop it, but pretty fascinating stuff. Well, I'll say initially that I try not to develop preconceived formulas for um, moments of disclosure or moments of activism because I have found that um, it takes me out of being present with whoever I'm communicating with. So my technique is to let my, my deep presence, so for me to become silent enough that whoever I'm dealing with shows me where they're open, right? So instead of developing like a formula for you know, where I'm gonna send people, what I do is try to feel out exactly who I'm with, whether that's a person or a group, and really um, respond to where they're at, honor exactly where they're at in their path in terms of the secret space program for, for this particular example. So I recently had this experience because um, I've started to red pill some of like my old like high school friends and family um, who really were not aware of my involvement in any of this. And so one of these old friends approached me in a bar and he was seriously concerned for me. He was worried that I was having mental health issues based on what I was posting. Been there, I've been there. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is common, it's common, right? <laughs> but so what my, my response to him ended up being, how can we properly discuss something if we both haven't looked at some of the same sources. So my invitation to him was, if you wanna discuss this topic, then let's agree to look at some of the same things and then let's go over them together, right? But I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's super important, you know, like proper discussion, you're never gonna convince anyone of the secret space program in the first go. I mean, it's, it's just not, it's not gonna happen and it shouldn't because this is a highly complex subject. This is something that requires intense research and there's a lot of evidence, um, but in terms of proof, uh, that's a difficult thing to come by because proof is very tricky in comparison to evidence, right? If you're looking at like something in a, a court trial, you know, they have to weave together all different types of evidence for it to become proof, which is then allowed to be treated as such. So, um, you know, I try to look at it that way that, um, if I can create common ground in terms of a, a resource, then it's a place to discuss. But if someone has not looked into any of this, then my first goal is to support them in taking an initial glimpse. So rather than trying to bring them into any kind of belief in what I'm talking about, 
it's more like a gentle guidance at looking into it. So like one really good thing lately is um, the Harvard study that came out, uh, basically saying that extraterrestrials, yeah. you know, benevolent extraterrestrials would make contact most likely uh, with individuals in a way that uh, seems magical. And they would do it, you know, all throughout the planet to individuals. And that, that actually makes more sense than mass contact. Yeah. Which is funny, right? I mean, this is yeah. Harvard yeah. saying what every whistleblower and contactee <laughs> has been saying since like the 1950s. Exactly. Well, I was just going to say that. That's exactly what they've been doing <laughs> for a yeah. long time. Right? Yeah. That's why like, we're here. Yeah. Insane. I would say that, that one of the key things, if you're with people, if you're dealing with individuals, is quiet yourself so you can find where that person is at and let them show you what they need so that you can be of service to them properly rather than having a preconceived agenda. Your higher self is communicating with their higher self. So if you can allow that conversation to inform what you're doing, you can really be of service. And this, you know, for those of us that have looked through the law of one and have studied the law of one, I mean, every single session in the law of one, they give that warning. They say, we don't want anything we're offering to be a stumbling block. And anything that you feel that we've offered that feels like a stumbling block, let it go. Only take what resonates, right? And their intention there, right? That intention to never offer anything that's going to be a stumbling block for people. This is the core principle that we're talking about here, right? You can offer information that slows down someone's spiritual growth. You can impede, you can slow down what's happening for them if you're forceful in trying to bring information into their space that is not resonant for where they're at. So, you know, it's, it's an art. You know, disclosure is a very unique and subtle art. In BC, people hear like weird booms and lots of strange noises coming from within the earth. There's also an area in BC uh, in a small town where uh, people's cars just won't start. So people are like, uh, they're afraid to bring their cars into that area because there's some sort of electromagnetic issue where uh, if people are in that area, their cars don't start and all sorts of other oddities are occurring. And it's near a place where there is, it's surmised that there is an underground base there. Uh, so we have to watch these things very carefully. And, and also in Canada, UFO sightings have been on the rise drastically, really? drastically on the rise. Yeah. And that's being reported in the mainstream here. Um, so it's interesting, you know, like here where I'm in Toronto, uh, I'm right next to Lake Ontario, and uh, there has been consistent sightings of orange craft over Lake Ontario, and I've seen one myself, just an orange ball hovering, and from the little bit that I've read, there is um, allegedly uh, an underground base, to the extent it's, a, it's an underground city that sits underneath Toronto, that is basically west of Toronto, between Toronto and Oakville. Oakville is actually the town that I grew up. Um, just about 30 minutes from here. And so um, from what I've read, these orange craft are basically coming and going from a base that's actually underneath the city where I live. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently um, who uh, basically he was speaking with, uh, I can't remember what this guy's, this guy specialized in, I think, seismography. So he was saying that um, the seismographs that they, had to install in certain areas in Canada, um, they had to build them with a special technology that accounted for the vibrations of the underground tunnel systems so that they wouldn't read as earthquakes. 
Wow. Wow. So they had to tune these devices so that every time these underground systems went by, it wasn't going to trigger any kind of scientific study into like random small earthquakes. So he personally was, uh, was asked to help install technology, I guess, that, um, that made sure that these underground tunnel systems were invisible to the regular study of earthquakes in that area. It's interesting that friend of mine who approached me with such deep concern, one of the things he had seen was me posting about deep underground military bases. And he just flat out said, he's like, those don't exist. He's like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. They don't exist. <laughs> and very plainly, I asked him how he knew that if he had never looked at any material on this subject. Yeah. And it made me realize that there is this weird thing where people form strong opinions mm. about things they've literally never ever looked into never researched at all never researched and, and they have like a final opinion on it which is you know that's a fascinating thing and it was good the way this conversation unfolded with my friend he really did arrive like <laughs> he was struggling because i was being very logical i was being very logical because he's a scientist this is someone who's worked in uh you know like the gmo industry and all sorts of he's been in like the depths of this stuff he's in like labs doing genetic testing on things like crazy stuff so he's very very scientifically minded and i said like let's be practical let's be rational if you have never researched a subject can you have that strong of an opinion on it and he said what you're saying is making sense to me but i can't wrap my brain around it <laughs> And, you know, we just sort of left it at that. I was like, cool, man. Well, then, you know, then that's where we're at. And if you ever want to talk about it more, then I'll direct you so that you can form an opinion on it properly. Yeah. So I came into extraterrestrial experiences, experiences of higher consciousness, like seeing craft, like uh, th those arrived in my life very early. And they gave my psyche the means to begin to process this information. And I forget that someone who has lived an entirely sort of normal life they don't have those advantages, you know? So I try to remember that uh, when I'm communicating with someone that, you know, I, I am an alien. I am from, you know, and I mean that. I am actually not from here. Yeah, I, uh, I don't go by him either, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm 100% I'm sure. That's a huge advantage, right? Psychologically, that's a huge advantage because it creates an openness in us that, that um, allows this information to arrive with more ease. And so it's funny, today actually, I went, I did a session um, for my birthday. Uh, my friends and family bought me a session with a friend of mine who channels your guides to reveal to you basically what your core karmic pattern has been on earth throughout all your lifetimes. That we all have this like one core pattern that has been sort of building lifetime after lifetime and, and the karma of that has become deeper and deeper. And, and now that we're within the great awakening, people are facing their core karmic pattern. So right before I, I uh, hopped on here to meet you guys, I was in this session and, uh, and it, it really, it confirmed all of this for me. Uh, it confirmed basically that, uh, you know, I came here from a different plane of existence, uh, a, a more non-physical one. Um, I was told that it's more of vibratory existence uh, than it is like a, a physical one and that it's more of like a collective. So like if we're looking at like the law of one, it would be something like that group 
I was given this information and that, that part, you know, was sort of old hat for me. I've known for quite a while because I've had extraterrestrial memories come back to me very clearly. So I've known some of that stuff for a while. But the core pattern for me that I'm finding out was that my first lifetime here on Earth was so traumatic that I didn't feel it was tactically sound to allow my soul full participation in my human self and body. And so it's been sort of like once removed, lifetime after lifetime. So that's like what I'm coming up against. You know, healing in this lifetime is, is really diving into that core pattern. And the essence of it is allowing the earth to feel like home. And I've been, from what I now understand, and very deeply, I'm deeply resonant with the information that was given to me today is that uh, I was very resistant and resentful to the extent that I really did not want to allow the feeling of home in my body while I was incarnate on earth. Um, and so now part of the work that I'm doing is really allowing earth to feel like home so that I can be more of service because it's a great object to the service that I want to offer humanity um, to sort of ostracize myself constantly. It's really, you know, I'm here to be here. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's like, uh, you know, we have people say home is where the heart is. Well, I think more like, like home is where the soul is. And if your soul isn't fully here, then you're not, not going to feel at home. Yeah. I think it's important that we all fully arrive. Let this be your home. Let it be your home. You know, don't get caught up in ideas that you're a star seed and your home is elsewhere. Like your home has to be here so that you can be of service to this place. If you're at all removed, then you're not fully of service. You know, if you're ready to leave, if you're one foot out the door, uh, you can't honor your contract here. Right. So if they're looking at using disclosures of, you know, secret bases in Antarctica, let's say, or secret, any secret projects in Antarctica, period, that is a breach of an international agreement, right, that there be uh, a non-military presence, that, uh, that it's scientific studies only, and that all the science has to be transparent and available to all other countries, right? So the Antarctic Treaty System is very important here. So uh, anything that they plan on disclosing that's been secretly happening in Antarctica is breaking a massive uh, international agreement that has been symbolic on Earth, you know, since it was created uh, as something more advanced, as humanity doing something finally more peaceful, everyone working together in Antarctica. There's this belief that people are putting aside their differences and working together in Antarctica. So it's going to blow up that sentiment in the human population, right? People are going to be pissed that they've been lying about Antarctica this whole time. And you can see some of this tension is building right now. I shared an article today about, you know, the tension with China trying to get their foot in the door in Antarctica and about how China recently made a complaint about a U.S. base uh, encroaching on their territory and the response is that base doesn't exist. <laughs> so this is happening already. You're already getting tensions. You're getting China. China saying the U.S. is doing things in Antarctica that they're not admitting to. So you already have, I guess, factions fighting with each other. And to me, that article that, that, that I posted today, it, it seems to be really about that, that there's, uh, they're, they're threatening to bring more public awareness to secrecy in Antarctica. So if you have these crimes against humanity going on, and then the distraction is supposed to be, we've broken the Antarctic treaty system. Yeah. I mean, How's that going to work? Like, that's going to be a huge blow to so many people as it is. So I, personally, it'll be amazing, but I don't think it's tactically sound. I think it's going to fail.
presenting well, that as a new discovery, uh, I think is going to be pretty tricky with the, with the way the Antarctic treaty system supposedly works. How, there would have had to have been transparency with every other country. If that was a, if they're going to present it, this is a, a valid project we've been working on and, Oh, we just discovered these ships. All these other countries that are working in Antarctica are supposed to have access to every other project that is occurring there. Yeah. That's well, part of the agreement, he, right? So how are they going to do it off anyway? He explained, he explained, he made sure to let us know that he doesn't think this narrative is going to play out because too many factors are at play now. Yeah. Um, but he said part of it was, if it were to play out, is that, you know, they were going to show us these Antarctic ruins and the cabal was going to connect their bloodline to these ruins to these et ruins yeah to make them to basically to like, help them remain in control so the Rothschilds you know, and all that stuff yes, they, they're yes. trying to connect themselves to this ancient et bloodline so that we think yeah. oh my god they have et dna we should listen to them oh you know, totally. yeah. you know what we should talk about this actually really quickly because i've come up against this a couple times recently so okay when we talk about luciferianism right it's interesting. This has triggered a couple people recently in the community talking about Luciferianism because there's this idea that um, in Christian theology, Lucifer, uh, you know, is just a light bearer. He's not a bad guy, right? There's this idea that, you know, the, the cabal just warped the idea of a positive being, but, but they don't understand that. Um, it's not their idea of a higher being. To them, Lucifer is an extraterrestrial, a real physical being that arrived here that was more advanced than humanity. And they, they believe that this extraterrestrial entity, like you said, is part of their original bloodline. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's really important to point out because um, there's more like new agey and there's like aspects of Luciferianism that came like in like the 1900s and all that, that were just like looking at Lucifer as like just a Christian sort of angelic being and then people spawned like positive versions of Luciferianism from that and there's this notion going around the community that the cabal just you know they warped something good but I think it's it's more nuanced than that and I think it's important to understand that for them uh, they, they didn't take a biblical thing and warp it to them, there's a literal extraterrestrial being that they've been tracking. So they weren't pulling something from biblical theology. Um, they, they're actually going through their secret history and their records of a real being that they feel connected to. So it's important that we be able to talk about Luciferianism in terms of an ancient like Illuminati belief system uh, that for them is based in uh, like a record of history that we don't have. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's really important because a lot of people think that Luciferianism just started in like the late 1800s and that it was like yeah. some Freemasons that just talked about it in a warped way. But, but it's really not that, that it's, it was being talked about in the 1700s by the Illuminati. And that's because of this belief of an extraterrestrial lineage. So I wanted to clear that up because I think there's a lot of confusion about it. The secrecy is, I think, a hard thing for people to reconcile, the, the depth of the secrecy, right? Mm -hmm. So when we look at Luciferianism and when we look at the sort of like, sort of um, Christian offshoots that came from it later on, uh, there, you know, that was, uh, it was initially opposed and sort of ridiculed by the Illuminati who had their core Luciferian belief system. But eventually they backed off from that because it was the perfect psyop. 
for positive Luciferian branches to start spawning off of Christianity, it created this whole uh, veneer of confusion so that now when someone looks up Luciferianism, uh, they can find tons of information of well-meaning Luciferians who are good people, who have like a positive spiritual understanding. Um, and and that, that was allowed to flourish so that the actual core Luciferianism that was there from the beginning could maintain its secrecy. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a, an important thing to talk about to me because I, I think we should be able to talk about it as Luciferianism. But we do need to clarify that we're not targeting people who are coming from this more sort of uh, Christian New Age branch of Luciferianism, that it is a, a deeper, darker, older, and more original version of that belief system that we're focusing on right now. It's hard to even fathom what the karma of earth receiving these you know this disturbed race this deeply disturbed race uh yeah that's a that's a big big thing for us to heal on yeah. this planet right it's deep it's old it's painful it's strange dark uh it's gonna be a lot of work to heal this so uh you know we have our work cut out for us, us and it's this, already us, begun uh, this, it's happening for sure. Every yeah. time you heal anything in yourself, you are healing the collective. Like oh, that is super, absolutely. super important. That's so important. You know, that's something that I've realized that we can get really caught up in like constant yoga and juicing and meditating and you know, whatever you're doing. And sometimes that itself can be the obstacle to you just allowing something to occur that needed you to stop controlling the circumstance. I talk about this a lot in my sessions with clients, like teaching meditation and mindfulness. And the mantra that I always end up back at with people is less effort, more allowing. That exactly. we are all just, we're overburdened with the amount of effort in our bodies. You know, our bodies are stuck in this state of trying, trying, trying. And the state of allowing is very, very different. And I look at meditation as an allowing. Meditation is not something you try to do. Meditation is something you allow. And, and we want that consciousness to infuse, you know, this comes back to, to what we were talking about with metaphysical activism. You want that consciousness to infuse your work in this field, in any field. How can you be in a state of allowing while you're working? You know, exactly. it's a tricky thing and it takes practice, but, but to be in a state of allowing while you're in the act of working, uh, it's very balanced. It's very, very balanced. And it, it, um, it supports the work, I think, more than people realize. So even though part of me is like filled with all sorts of weird anger and resentment from all my lifetimes here, you know, like that's <laughs> definitely a reality of it for me. Uh, having arrived on a planet where they just torture children. I mean, that's been a difficult thing to yeah. come to terms with, among other things. So, you know, there's some times when I'm like, yo, F this place for sure. But then at the same time, it's like, this is the most incredible place to be right now, hands down. And that's why I'm here. So, you know, reconciling those two polarities is, uh, you know, that's a big, big challenge. And I think coming across some of the harder information in this field, um, for me, it's gotten more and more activating. So when I first started to look into some of the more darker things, you know, like the, the ritual abuse and things like that, uh, my response was much, much more deeply rooted in like anger and, and uh, you know, 
fury, really. But now for me, it's coming to this place where I feel activated. The feeling that I'm getting, the more coming to that information is you cannot stop us. You will not stop us. There's no way you can stop us. What you have done has empowered us to change this planet. The karma that you have built, uh, deep state, cabal, it's too late for you now. You've built up a situation where we now have the advantage because the momentum is moving in our direction. So, you know, that's a way that we can move into some of the darker information, right? Is to let it activate you, to let it really, really empower you to make this change. Um, and, uh, you know, I encourage people to try and find that response in themselves. And when they can't, when it's too much, back off the information. The power of this community, uh, you know, is... We, we have, no one has even come close to, to, I think, really realizing how powerful we are as a community. I mean, it's like, I think about it all the time and it's like, we're just like tip of the iceberg in terms of how activated this community, this movement can be. Uh, you know, we have so much untapped power that is ready to come forward. And I think we all, we all could be doing more and more to allow that power to arrive, right? This is super important. Um, I, I really, I can't emphasize that enough. It's so, so important that you let your power arrive and, and let the sense of this community's power arrive because that's going to be a big um, defense against the attacks and the division, right? Yeah. You know, that star seeds and ufology, there's, you know, we're targeted. We're, we're targeted and, uh, you know, the more people let those moments of intense activation occur, the more we sort of build up our collective immune system to all that they're trying to do to reduce our power. And it very much is like an immune response, right? Like when you look at the way the immune system works and how it gets triggered and goes into action, that's one of the ways that we can look at um, some of the darker information, that you can let it activate this sort of this immune response that like this part of you that steps forward that says, no, I have to stop this. Like this, this needs to be changed. So, you know, I sort of see our community as, as activating that, that there's like within the collective consciousness, there needs to be this immune response that has been suppressed for, for, you know, thousands of years. And we need to activate that immune response to start to clear out this illness. Uh, and that activation to me, it comes from information and experiences that are deeply impactful. It's interesting to think of like, I always go down these macrocosmic, microcosmic rabbit holes, but like, if you think of that, if you think of how common um, autoimmune diseases are right now, right? Like in individuals, like autoimmune diseases are like rampant on earth right now. And if you scale that up on a collective uh, level, you think that like the idea that our collective immune system is attacking itself and that we need to correct it so that it's working for us right? This is the same principle that's happening on both levels. Yeah. Of course, we have autoimmune problems throughout humanity. Uh, that's what we're doing on that higher level, you know? Yeah. So we're all doing together. So how can we flip that? 